From the Cervera Newsroom in sunny Miami, welcome to the Miami Real Estate Podcast, your home for expert insight on all things Miami real estate. I'm your host, Omar DeWint. Let's get started. Hello, my people. Welcome back to the Miami Real Estate Podcast. I'm Omar DeWitt, Communications Executive here at Cervera Real Estate. Joining me in the newsroom on this semi-Sunday, Friday afternoon, my co-host, the master broker among master brokers, Alicia Cervera La Madrid. Alicia, how are you? I am fine and happy to be here. Uh, excited that it's the weekend and right before my favorite holiday, Thanksgiving. Yeah, so. we got Thanksgiving coming up next week. This will be our official Thanksgiving uh, episode or Thanksgiving week episode, right? Yeah. Um, I guess I should start with what's on your what's on your dinner menu this Thanksgiving. Turkey. What else? <laughs> <laughs> no, but we have all good stuff, and you know, um, being of multiculturals, we're having of course turkey, but I'm having a baked ham also, and mm. of course there's rice and black beans, and there's uh, uh, corn and sweet potatoes, and way more food than I hope anyone can eat, so that we have lots of leftovers. Yeah, for sure. And I know, I mean, we've made much to do about it throughout this year, and especially in recent months. We've had a lot of transplants coming to Florida <laughs> yes. this year, a lot of people relocating. So for any of our listeners that are new to South Florida, your first um, Thanksgiving here, I know it's COVID Thanksgiving, so to speak, but I hope you get to experience some of that Latin mixture, right, that Alicia was talking about. It's not just the, the turkey and stuffings. There's... Right. There's all kinds of extras. And I think one of the fabulous things about Thanksgiving in Miami is that we actually, generally speaking, have the perfect weather. Mm-hmm. I always do it outside. I don't have to worry about snow. It never rains, knock on wood. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year, more than ever, when everybody's trying to be outside, uh, don't be afraid to plan your Thanksgiving dinner outside. It's just a beautiful time of year to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was, we were actually just having this conversation, Octavio and I, behind the scenes uh, on the show here, our sound engineer, literally an hour ago, we're outside saying it was like, what, 70 degrees or something and, and sunny before this drizzle came. I said, man, if the weather was just like this every day right? in Miami would yeah. be like the perfect of perfect. But that's Thanksgiving in Miami. It's- it, it really is. It's, um, it's a beautiful holiday just because it is a, a time to give thanks. There's zero pressure because we're not running around like crazy people buying presents. Mm-hmm. Um, we are all well aware that we're going to eat more than we should. So there's we've given up on the guilt or the diet thought. So it's perfect in so, so many ways. And for us in Miami, uh, not only is it the beginning of the holiday season, but it's also the beginning of our business season mm. because it is our busiest time, certainly in real estate. It's uh, officially the start of the season. And personally, I've done some incredibly good deals the Friday after Thanksgiving. where um, Historically, you, got, you historically, have a good track record. A lot of people are shopping. I personally prefer selling. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Well, people are in the mood to buy. So for us in the real estate game, I mean, it's it's uh, it's a good time to sell. Huh? Yes, it is. So uh, today we have a good episode for you guys. We're, uh, later in the second half, we'll have an interview with uh, Miami attorney uh, Sebastian Jaramillo. He's going to give us a commercial real estate spotlight uh, and COVID-19, let's say, from the, the landlord's perspective and what our tenants and retailers out there can do to navigate these waters. But before that, uh, we're going to kick it off with Alicia today with some headlines and then some hot takes. So Alicia, talk to me about, let's start off with some of the biggest headlines this week. Uh, and that is that um, uh, LA Times reported uh, the one and only Mark Anthony uh, listed his beautiful, beautiful um, Coco Plum estate for a whopping uh, $27 million, our very own Johnny Parciani, yeah. Cervera Associate, uh, co-listing agent. So tell me what you think about that, that beautiful property. 
Well, I think it's fantastic. It's, it's very exciting. It's unique. It's on the water, but offers a tremendous amount of privacy for that bespoke person that's looking for a magnificent home. Sometimes it's hard to find that in a private area. So this is a private area, hard to get to in the heart of Coral Gables. So it's a, a family destination, great schools, a very walkable community, wonderful restaurants. So um, I hope that a, a new owner can call it home soon because it's a beautiful opportunity and one that doesn't come along that often. Absolutely. I was taking a look at it on the map and uh, Coco Plum, I mean, for those that, you know, for context, one of the most exclusive and, and sought after, but also uh, I would say uh, secluded, right? But also the waterfront, and so it's just sort of a unique uh, a mixture. It's a unique mixture. It's a gated community, and it's a real neighborhood. Mm. You know, sometimes you get into gated communities and you feel like it's odd. You know, something is off. Um, this is a community that has grown into itself. It has wonderful greenery. It's got the great waterways. And even though it's private and gated, it feels very accessible and real. Mm -hmm. And a beautiful story built uh, by the, the Bacardi family, uh, great-great-granddaughter of, uh, of the um, original uh, founders. And, uh, and John Parciani, for those of you who are realtors out there, uh, you may remember him from episode 7 of uh, the Miami Real Estate Podcast, uh, How to Be a Top Producer. So if you're interested, check that episode out. The keys to success, and great to see you, John, having much success out there. So from all of us here, keep it up. Yeah, absolutely. Great job, John. Uh, Alisa, tell me about some of the other headlines, what's on your radar this week. I hear Nativo's got some things going on. Well, very exciting, Nativo. We've been working for months and months to get the floor plans for the penthouses just right. And uh, we had our official launch uh, yesterday at the magnificent Dolce restaurant, which Ooh. if you haven't been there, you've got to go. The food. Where's, where's that? Again? It is in the Gale Hotel, um, ah, okay. right across the street from the Delano. Right, and, and, right. Um, yeah. And I have to tell you, the, the food is really second to none. The service is great. The ambience is wonderful. And don't miss the pizza when you go. Because okay. it's, you know, sometimes you go to a restaurant and you're saying, I'm not going to order pizza here. Order the pizza. It is really, really magnificent. So start with that. And and it was very exciting. So the um, penthouses are now done. It's a new collection. Um, they're very accessible because they start under 500,000. Mm. So it's a new style of penthouses. As you know, a Nativa was purposely designed for a short-term rental program. Mm -hmm. So you can live there when you want, rent it when you're, you're, you want. It gives you all the flexibility. And these penthouses have been furnished uh, by uh, RH, which is uh, part of Restoration, Restoration Hardware. Hardware. So they're truly, truly magnificent. So we um, launched them last night and what was a, a very festive um, event at uh, Dolce. And by the way, the people from uh, Dolce um, LDV Hospitality are going to be uh, activating all of the social spaces. And at Nativo. At Nativo. So, cool. uh, you know, they own Dolce and they own Scarpetta and they own all kinds oh. of magnificent concepts. Good company then. They're very, very good company. So they're going to be activating the spaces. Uh, John Meadows, who's uh, owner of that company, is also partners with Keith Menon. Um, our developer. Menon Hospitality, right, yes. and, and the developers. And the developers, which is the uh, Galvet family office. So it's a very, very cool uh, team. Mm -hmm. And the product is is really exceptional. So um, this today we were very happy that we actually wrote up our first contract for congratulations. Yes, very exciting stuff, and uh, we look forward to selling them out with the the help of our burger community and all of our buying listening audience. <laughs> Absolutely. And so remind us, what is the delivery date on Nativo Miami? Um, the construction should start in the 
first quarter mm-hmm. of uh, next year. Okay. Okay, so then add two years to that, more or less. So it's uh, 21, 22. 22, 23. So say beginning of 23, middle of 23, more or less. Okay, yeah. excellent. So it uh, looks like it's right on schedule, right? You guys just kicked off uh, about a year you ago. Are, and so. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, to know what a schedule is anymore in the <laughs> time of COVID. <laughs> so I would say it's right on COVID schedule. Yeah, you know? we'll take so, that. We'll you know? take that. <laughs> but, uh, but it is selling. We're 65% sold, I'm going to say, with it. Awesome. Inventory that we had released, so now we've added some inventory with the penthouses, mm-hmm. which we were just all chomping on the bit to get because it's very exciting inventory. Um, so it's good stuff happening there. The the sales team, as you know, is really uh, fantastic, and they're very juiced and available. So um, if, if you you know if you, anyone is interested, please do reach out. And um, maybe you can put the contact information. Yeah, we'll leave the, the contact info in the that. show notes. Yeah. Um, anything else before we get into the hot takes? Anything else on your radar? Um, things that sort of piqued your interest this week or that you're looking ahead to uh, next week and you know, into December? I'm not December. sure if it happened this week or last week, but Aston Martin has kind of reached the midpoint in the construction of the building. Right. And because the building is so tall, in the middle of the building, there's actually a second slab that's poured. Hmm. So that was very interesting to watch that. That's something that's done quite often in Manhattan because their skyscrapers are so tall, but not that often in Miami. So it was a very interesting dynamic to see that going in the building. And of course, a milestone to be halfway up through the construction. So as you know, we've had um, some really good months at Aston Martin, which we're yep. so grateful for in the midst of even all what that's going on with COVID and the travel restrictions and people being afraid to get caught out of the country or in the country or mm-hmm. out of state for that matter or in the state. But um, even with all of those challenges, the product is being really, really well received and people are getting very excited as they see that building getting taller and taller and moving, getting closer and closer. Absolutely. And it truly will be. I mean, it just I saw this in, I think, Ocean Drive magazine the other day and it sort of occurred to me what should have been obvious, but it really is redefining like the skyline. Like it's good, like when you think of, I don't think it's an overstatement to say like if you think of the Eiffel Tower in Paris right, uh, or like Big Ben in London, then here it's going to be yeah. the Aston Martin. You know, I, I always think that if you're going to live in a condo, live in one that doesn't have a number as an address because <laughs> it doesn't matter. You don't have to say, oh, I live at, you know, 300, blah, blah, blah. That was it. People say, where do you live? I live at the Aston Martin residences. Right. And that, let it stand on its own. So that's a very cool feature in that building. It's definitely an iconic building. When and it's iconic by by the air when you're flying in, it's going to be one of the tallest buildings in the city. It's iconic when you're coming in um, on the waterway. You're going to see it as you're coming in from the Bahamas and coming into the river. And of course, it's iconic from the city. If yep. you're walking or driving down I-95, it's just a building that makes a very beautiful architectural statement. And um, it's it's going to be truly spectacular when it's finished. I love it. I can't wait. So Alicia, let's get into this week's hot take. Uh, as our listeners out there know, every week Alicia is going to answer the tough questions, what you guys want to know <laughs> Want to know about. Excuse me. We're going to answer it. Um, so for this week, so the condos are booming, right? As you were saying, we know that single family homes are hot. Uh, this week, uh, Patrick Lister and Coral Gables uh, reached out, speaking of single family homes. So he and his wife uh, recently listed uh, their their single family home it sold in just under three days, full asking price a lot faster than they were expected. But now the predicament that Patrick asks is, um, we still haven't found our new place, right? And yeah. he's wondering if they should be what your opinion is on the market in the sense that is now in their position the time to rent and sort of wait out to see how the single family homes respond. Or do you think single-family homes are just going to keep getting more expensive? So buy now before it gets, um, before they get too expensive. 
So I think Miami, generally speaking, is going to get more expensive. So if they are committed to a house, uh, if they find the right house, they should buy it. If they're committed to a condo, they should run and look for a condo because the condo pricing is still um, far from at its peak. I think in houses, people are getting full price offices. They're getting them in three days. Um, so there's already uh, clearly a seller's market. They've taken advantage of that seller's market, which is a beautiful thing. So, the, But the key here is to find the right property. Now, the other thing that they might not be thinking about is that this might be an unexpected way to explore another cool neighborhood. So if they're going to rent because they don't find exactly what they want or just don't want the pressure because maybe their closing is in 30 days or whatever it is, then you may want to stay in the neighborhood you are. I don't know if they have children, if there's other reasons why they have to stay right there. I, I mentioned two, two kids, two, two kids. Young, young children. Okay. Yeah. So again, depending on what those needs are, but it might be a fun way to try an alternative lifestyle. Mm-hmm. If they're in a house, they may want to try being in a condo. So maybe they, they get a, a larger condo, and maybe that works great for them. And maybe they are get rid of a commute that's been really obnoxious because they're driving to work. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. So, But I just want them to think about how what might seem like a stressful time could turn into a really fun time mm-hmm. if they explore other things. A fun adventure. Yeah, kind of an adventure. So um, I would look at it that way. I like it. Um, so then, uh, and for those of you out there, our listeners, remember, uh, if you have any hot takes, you can go to miamirealestatepodcast.com slash askalicia and submit your questions, and we will make sure to answer them. There is no question Alicia will shy away from. Um, <laughs> Alicia, um, now, before we get to the break, last thing I want to ask you is, this is our Thanksgiving week episode, as I mentioned, and you always have some some great words of wisdom. Um Talk to me about uh, sort of what you're thankful for and what uh, your outlook is for the rest of the year and next year. So I am, I'm thankful that we have gotten through this year in a country that is at peace, where so many times we felt like we were on the brink of total chaos and tipped into the chaos zone. We managed to pull away from that. And through a very, very contentious election that continues on, as we know, with all the challenges that are happening, we in the United States of America have stayed a peaceful nation, respectful of the process, and looking forward to a peaceful transition of power, whatever that may look like. And I'm very grateful for that because you cannot take things for granted that are so absolutely spectacular. So in this year of so many challenges, we also have so many things to be grateful for, that we're in a country that stepped up, that uh, was there to support our hospitals and our, care, our uh, doctors and nurses and all of the people that are on the front line dealing with this horrible disease, that we were able to warp speed, as the president says, develop a vaccine, that the vaccine will be available as early as next month to, be, to, to start mm-hmm. getting distributed that is being distributed in a manner that seems um, so reasonable because they're starting with at-risk people and 67 years of age and higher. So it's colorblind, ethnic blind, just based on need, which is a, a beautiful thing. And that um, we came together as a country and brought together our entrepreneurs, our great thinking minds, our scientists, and um, and, and our factories mm-hmm. to produce 
all of the, the, you know, the masks and the shields and uh, the ventilators and, and keep our supply line going. You know, we somehow we managed to get toilet paper. And at one point they said, you're, there's going to be a food shortage. There was never a food shortage, you know. And so, you know, worst case, you didn't find the cut of meat you wanted. And, right. you know, but that's it. And um, so I'm grateful for all of that. And mm-hmm. on, a, on a more personal level, as we deep closer, as we dive closer to home, I'm careful. That, I'm grateful that that our company is here, that our industry is thriving, that uh, we haven't had any loss within our company, where so many people have had tragedy occur. Um, we, for the most part, have stayed healthy this year, um, and uh, we're getting through this year. And next year will come. And as you know, personally, this has been a year of great loss for me because my dad died, nothing to do with COVID, mm-hmm. but also a year of great joy because my granddaughter was born right. also in the middle of COVID, but very healthy. And um, and having her and, and the whole that part of our family all going through COVID, they went through it without uh, any serious consequences and healthy and here we are, very um, lucky and blessed to be celebrating Thanksgiving um, as a family and uh, with some close friends and and uh, doing what we think we need to do to stay safe and um, also experience the humanity that, that love and, and thankfulness and prayer um, give us. And so, so cherished. Absolutely. That's beautiful and very well said. You know, you make me think about um, and, and all of that and, and the craziness of this year. As you were talking, there was a a quote that comes to mind. That's <clears throat> it's an old one. Uh, I think it's the prophet Rumi. I'm gonna go back, right? Yeah. And he says, "In between right and wrong, there's a garden. I'll meet you there." Right. And and thinking about that and thinking about this here, I think it's a sort of uh, it's a metaphor on two sides of a coin, on differences, and sort of meeting in the middle sometimes, yes. compromising as you were you were talking about. Uh, sort of the country and where it's going and whatnot. I think that it's no doubt been a, a highly charged year and, and, and maybe years, but I think in the beauty of, of what we saw and something to be thankful for is that regardless of the outcome, I think we're all still as individuals sort of coming together and finding ways to compromise. I think looking, seeing the more, the value of, of sort of um, understanding each other's perspectives, I guess, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think in a lot of ways, um, many, many people were surprised to see just how divided the country was. Right. You know, I think people were expecting a landslide on one side or the other. Right. And in fact, there was no landslide. Right. There, there, it was a highly contested election. And I think in that reality, uh, we all had to pause. Yeah. Because, you know, 75 million people can't be wrong. Sure. You know, there has to be something to what they're thinking. And, you know, and whether you go 75 or 78 million, whatever that exact breakdown was between the people who voted for, for Joe Biden or, or for Donald Trump, that many people can't be all wrong on either side. Right. So th- that kind of was an interesting place to build from. Yeah. Saying, okay, so how do we find the good right. that we know? permeates through our country right and use that to to move on to move on bigger and better right and um and and, and be in the middle right and, and build and, on and go yeah from there. and and i think it was very surprising to a lot of people that it was that contested yeah it was just it was surprising and i think um there's also some some realities that we have to confront as a, as a society and that's that we have um some companies 
that uh, have gotten enormous. And just like in the time of Carnegie, you know, mm. and the big uh, steel lords and the, these companies got so powerful that there were price fixing and there were other problems and our government stepped up to find solutions. I think that we're at an interesting time now where these companies that have gotten so powerful that we need to figure out how to um, break that up in ways, taking tremendous advantage with great gratitude about with the things that they were able to create and invent, but making sure that there's enough room in a free market so other great companies can mm -hmm. emerge. So this is a challenge for the new administration. I think we may have talked about this before the election. And I said, I don't think this is a partisan issue. Mm -hmm. I think that all people in both parties are clear that there are several companies in the United States that gratefully are the most powerful companies in the world. But with that power comes some threats because and no company can be more powerful than the country and the people they serve. So it'll be interesting, I think, as we move forward to see how that huge challenge um, is handled without destroying these incredible companies and without penalizing these phenomenal entrepreneurs that deserve every penny they have mm -hmm. for creating these amazing companies and yet free up space for other people to be able to come in and also take advantage of the American dream. Right. Well, only time will tell. And as I say, hopefully uh, our leaders and everybody will find a garden, a middle place to meet in, right. and everybody can thrive and survive and, and be happy to be alive. I didn't even mean to rhyme there, but <laughs> it, it happened. So uh, thank you, Alicia. Always thank a you. pleasure. Um, everybody stay tuned after the break. Our conversation with Sebastian Jaramillo on a Commercial Real Estate Spotlight. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Happy Thanksgiving. Welcome back, folks. Our special guest today is Sebastian Jaramillo, partner at the Miami-based law firm Wolf & Pinkovich. Sebastian leads the firm's real estate practice group specializing in various matters, including development, financing, leasing, liens and titles, um, uh, liens and title disputes, I should say, acquisitions and sales, litigation, tax, and more. Uh, with over a decade of experience in South Florida and a portfolio of residential and commercial closings and refinancing accessing a billion dollars, no one better than uh, Sebastian to give us a spotlight on the commercial real estate market and how that's impacting uh, landlords and tenants throughout. So Sebastian, thanks for being here with us today. Omar, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to join you in the podcast. Absolutely. So Sebastian, we want to today take a look at our commercial sector, uh, you know, retail and all those parts of part of what, what makes such such a vibrant community, especially in the downtown urban core and throughout. Um, as as we had been talking before, you know, we went on sort of um, in terms of looking at the commercial real estate and retail markets before the pandemic struck, um, you know, commercial real estate was already softening. Uh, some say retailers were entering a state of pseudo or, or full bankruptcy. So what does that mean for sort of where we are now, uh, let's say six to nine months after COVID became such a, a big factor in our lives here? And how should retailers, uh, you know, approach this in terms of negotiating their lease with, with uh, lenders and landlords? So it was interesting because pre-pandemic, um, the retail or the brick and mortar was already um, having some difficulties. 2019 was not a good year for uh, for retail and the brick and mortar stores. So they were already experiencing some difficulties and a decline, uh, mostly due to online purchasing. And a lot of the online companies kind of really um, being strong in the market with distribution centers or, you know, stores where they can people can pick up their their purchases. So they took a big hit. Um, then the pandemic hit and it really put them in and put them deep. Uh, 
it, the market was not expected to do well 2020 or 2021, but nobody expected it was going to do this badly. Obviously, the pandemic accelerated all those issues. Um, it's been interesting anyway, because even though the market's not strong, there are opportunities for retailers to renegotiate with landlords. Uh, I mostly, in my practice, I mostly represent landlords. And at the firm, Wolf and Cabbage, I mean, I, I, I only deal with landlords pretty much. So we've negotiated a number of, you know, either deferments or forbearance of some rents. And a lot of times what we do is we try to work with tenants to try to get an agreement where it's understandable that we probably were closed for a couple of months and we take that rent either tag it on the end or sometimes waive a portion of it or sometimes when we get creative we can do a half and half of the agreement we waive a portion and then we defer a portion um but tenants do also have some leverage now uh, considering their the market's not doing well the demand is not doing great um when it comes to the retail sector so the last thing a landlord wants is to lose a profitable tenant or a tenant that's successful right. so tenants have a little bit of leverage to renegotiate their leases and landlords understand this so they're willing to work and come to the table it's kind of like we, we we like to say here on the residential side it's not a buyer's market a seller's market it's a doer's market like we've got to just find a way to do things and meet in the middle and i think that applies to to what you're speaking to right now at the same time sebastian i think we would agree um if you're a landlord uh especially given the state of the economy right now like you're saying if you were to if a tenant were evicted, it's not like there's a huge backlog, right, of new tenants coming in to fill because everybody's in a sort of similar situation. And is that a fair sort of a assessment? Right. There's no, there's not a huge demand. So most, and in some cases, landlord may just want to keep the tenant, even if the tenant's not paying at all rent, just to kind of keep the the development, whether it's a you know street level style uh, shopping center, or whether it's a bigger shopping center, you want to keep it occupied, even if it, they're not paying tenants. So you really, it's an interesting development, but it makes kind of both parties try to work with each other. And and, and for the most part, we've negotiated uh, pretty good you know um, agreements on behalf of both sides, or for both parties that I think are favorable in the long run. That's that's great to hear. And so can you shed some light on the state of evictions in the commercial arena, uh, let's say now and then also as we, we move to the end of the year and, and beyond? So commercial evictions are moving forward as we go now. Um, they're slowly starting to, to restart. What happened was, unfortunately, the eviction moratorium by the governor of Florida was very was not very clear. So a lot of the circuits interpreted them in different ways. You know, so some counties weren't issuing summonses at all. Some weren't entering final judgments and some weren't just executing writs of decession. Now that we've moved past the governor's moratorium, now we're kind of more on the, you know, on the where we where we were essentially before the pandemic. So evictions can move forward and depending on the landlord so so there's two two ways to file the case you can either file for damages only or file for possession actually there's a third way file for damages and possession during the pandemic a lot of landlords were choosing just to sue for damages because they knew they couldn't get evicted tenants so there was this way to put some pressure on the tenants to pay some rent now we're, we've seen the restart recently in the last couple of weeks of just filing for pure evictions so filing for possession only which is the preferred mechanism because it moves a lot faster than a lawsuit for just damages so those cases are moving forward but again if we go back to to the state of the market and if the landlord is reasonable and the landlord understands that 
Right. You don't want to you don't want to get tenant to vacate because if they do, what are you going to put in there? So it becomes one of the situations where some tenants you may choose to pursue the eviction if they're problematic or if they, or if you're certain that their business is not going to recover. But in other cases, you may want to be a little patient and exercise some discretion and try to negotiate with your retailer or restaurant or whoever is occupying the space. And I think that's great advice and and a great perspective from the landlord. And as a tenant, I guess, would your advice be to them to be vocal or be proactive or, you know, sort of keep the lines of communication open? Yeah. And and, and I think a a line that has received a lot of coverage, you know, during the pandemic has been this force majeure clauses, you know, whether whether your rent was waived, whether your rent payment was excused. And and for the most part, courts have been struggling to interpret it. Some judges have found certain ways. Uh, We've been kind of monitoring, not just in Florida, but nationwide, to see which way courts are interpreting these clauses. Because in some of these leases, when you talk about national retailers, you're talking about millions of dollars in unpaid rent that could, you know, potentially have a huge impact on these companies on both sides. So the tenant does have options, uh, but and they can choose to fight it and they can choose to go to court and see if their specific lease has a clause that's favorable to try to excuse some of the payment of the rent. But barring that, it's just a matter of trying to come to the table with the landlord and trying to get an agreement. Okay. And then what what uh, would you say then, Sebastian, looking ahead, um, what's your forecast for commercial real estate? Um, how will investor preferences uh, change or have they changed already? I think it's beginning to change. We've been getting a lot of calls recently from um, clients who either purchased commercial, refinanced commercial in the last two to three years that are already struggling, that are already getting to the point. So commercial presents a, a unique scenario that's typically commercial properties are not as leveraged as residential. So typically, you know, the typical buyer will have to put 30, 40%, maybe more. So, and, and that what gives the lenders a little leeway when it comes to whether they want to modify or do give the landlord or give the, the owner of the property any discretion when it comes to their mortgage payments and try to negotiate with them. And, and I'm mentioning that because the lending side is, I think, what's going to direct where the market goes. So if the lending slows down because of fears and the value of the properties, then that's going to translate into, into lower values, lower rents. And again, we also know that the financing from commercial comes typically from the rents collected, not really from the value of the property or, or properties are appraised based on the rent. That's also being affected now. So if you're trying to finance either a purchase or refinance a current sale, you're limited by you know, the amount of rent that you collect and the amount of rent really prevents you from really maximizing your investment. Or instead of getting 60 to 70% loan to value, you may end up to 40 or 50% loan to value, which really limits the possibilities. So where the financing goes, I think is where the market goes. And the financing, I expect it to start slowing down because of fears and lenders that, you know, these landlords may not be collect, may not be able to collect the amount of rent that they used to. So, do you, does that apply to all sectors, or are there is there any uh, are there any bright spots on the commercial side? Because on one end, we're talking about retail, and it's understandable they're going to be suffering. But let's say on uh, industrial, medical, um, you know, other uses of of commercial space that maybe uh, have a what, what's the word? Not the recession proof, but have a sort of longer shelf life, or even in a in a socially distant era. Are there any sectors that you'd be more favorable towards? 
Yeah, there are, um, especially spaces that can be repurposed for smaller use. I think a lot of retailers are realizing that maybe they didn't, not just retailers, but companies in general, that they didn't need as much retail or as much office space as they expected. So I think the the areas that are going to thrive are those that can repurpose to smaller, leaner kind of spaces that become a little bit more commercially available to to potential clients. Uh, warehouses, I think, continues to be stable. I don't, I don't think that market's going to be affected. And and between retail, there are huge differences. No, whether we're talking about high traffic areas like Lincoln Road, though, that's been hit really hard. But again, the rents were at you know crazy levels, so everybody expected that to kind of be the first one to go down. And there's been a number of retailers that have closed in the last six months in that area. So that area, the, the high traffic market, high value rents, it's going to be hit hard. Um, but I think the the, the uh, trick becomes when, when you're an owner or an investor in these properties, either to to look at properties that can you repurpose either by rezoning, which is significant investment, or you can repurpose into smaller, leaner spaces that you actually have some demand. Most of the demand now or, or the majority of the demand, the increase in demand is coming from, from online retailers looking to have some spaces where they can, let's say you call them distribution centers or like, you know, ship uh, what they call pick and, you know, buy and pick kind of um, locations where they buy online and they can pick them up at these uh, smaller, leaner spaces. So it's interesting, but there's going to be demand there. Um, the question is at what level and at what price? and how much these retailers are willing to pay. Uh, that being said, the, in, in, larger national, in larger retail spaces, I think those will, will do well, um, but I think some of the medium-sized kind of malls may, may really suffer and may have to find other uses or, or rebrand completely. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to Sebastian Jaramillo, partner at the Miami-based law firm Wolf Pinkovich. Uh, uh, Sebastian uh, has over 10 years experience in the industry, specializing in a variety of legal matters. He's sharing with us some insights today on the uh, state of the commercial uh, real estate market in South Florida and uh, sort of how that's impacting tenants, landlords, and everybody in between. Um, One um, of the other hot topics that's that's coming up a lot. And I think you were sort of getting at it here is an adaptive reuse, right? And sort of being flexible. I think that's what I was hearing in terms of those companies that will be um, better suited to, to, to bounce back. What talk, talk to me about the barriers and challenges of adaptive reuse and from a legal perspective, what factors one must consider if this is when, if looking at this avenue? So the biggest issue is typically a rezoning, you know, whether it's zoned as commercial only, whether it's zoned in mixed use. And and I think the the input from the or the assistance from local governments is going to be crucial here. Um, and I think if they see commercial spaces that are suffering that could be repurposed either as residential or as some other type of commercial use, I think they're going to lower the requirements a little bit because typically at least locally in South Florida, it's not easy to get rezoning. You know, a lot of times you have to do a public hearing if it's if, if you're changing substantially the the use of the property. So, but that's the that's the main option. Now that that option doesn't really apply to a lot of these locations. When you're looking at you know spaces that are in in, in high traffic area, high foot traffic area, a lot of these spaces may not be available to be repurposed into anything else because retail is really the only thing that can be used for. But in other spaces, when you're looking at, you know, garden style malls or street level style malls that you can take the property and, and the construction is limited and repurpose it either as residential and knock out everything down and essentially redevelop, 
or where you can take the primary use of the property, which is commercial, and either switch it to light industrial use or warehouses. So the main challenge becomes rezoning. That's that's the main barrier here. Um, Construction-wise, the cost is also relevant and important to take into account. But if your repurpose is just interior or you know or or minor exterior modifications, then typically your cost is not going to be significant. And then your issue becomes whether you can get it approved by the county and local authorities. Excellent. I think we're going to leave it there. Talk to me about uh, final thoughts for landlords, um, for tenants, uh, the state of the market as a whole, you know, as we wind down um, 2020 and look forward to what will hopefully be a much brighter 2021. What are your words of wisdom and what's your message to our, our community? Um, and my message is to be very aware of the market on both sides. You know, whether you're a landlord or tenant, be very aware of what the rates are. Be wary of where the demand is. You know, whether you're a tenant and you're trying to renegotiate the terms or you're signing a new lease, be aware of these things because there is opportunity for you to get into a better position. Uh, whether your lease is expiring or whether you're trying to renegotiate midterm. Same for landlords. Be aware of what the demand is. I mean, a lot of landlords that I've talked to, even clients of mine, are a little oblivious of the, the condition of the market. And I have to press them on it and say, listen, there, there are issues here. There are problems. You're going to have issues getting new tenants. So come to the table and let's try to keep the good tenants in there and let's try to move forward. And hopefully the market will recover soon. Um, but that's essentially it. I love that. And uh, for those that want to learn more about this, want to get in touch with you and your associates, um, tell us a little bit uh, about the firm and uh, where they can contact you. So, yeah, the firm, uh, we're, we're from nine attorneys. We have a healthcare litigation practice, a business litigation practice, a general litigation practice, and then the real estate department that I handle. And they can contact me. My number is 786-409-0800. And our website at wolf with an e pinkcabbage.com. So, or they can look me up, Sebastian Jaramillo. I'm the only Sebastian Jaramillo attorney, so it should be easy to find. <laughs> nice. We'll put your information in the show notes. Sebastian, thanks for coming on. I hope we'll have you on again uh, soon. Uh, some great insights today. And then uh, for the rest of you out there this Thanksgiving week, I hope you have a lovely, uh, safe one, lots of good turkey. And remember, until next time here in Miami future is always bright. Take care, folks. Thank you, Omar. Appreciate it.